the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know. Six. The following program is sponsored with Inverated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy asks, what kind of giver are you? Some have said that there are three kind of givers in the church, the flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything out of a flint, you've got to hammer it. To get anything out of a sponge, you've got to squeeze it. But the honeycomb just overflows with its own sweetness. We need honeycomb givers. We need cheerful givers. Many people don't like churches that talk about giving and some frown at the passing of the plate. Yet God calls believers to give and churches and ministries to receive. That's our subject today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Philip is taking us to a powerful New Testament example in which people gave liberally, radically, and generously out of love for the church and the saints. We're learning to cultivate a heart of sacrificial grace that's overflowing with love for people we haven't ever met. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. Because in this passage where Paul is arguing that the Christians need to give generously, he gives one of the motivations for that. For we know that through the grace of God, that though our Lord Jesus was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. And he's using that event of the poverty, the incarnation, the humility of Jesus Christ to motivate them to give. And we're in a series called Total Grace. And this is the grace I've called sacrificing grace or grace giving. Giving that's free, not forced. Giving that's desired by us, not demanded from us. Because here, Paul extols the grace of giving. Grace giving is considered It's thoughtful. It's reflected upon. It's not a spur-of-the-moment thing. It's not an emotional thing. It's calculated. It's considered. It's planned. It's thought out. Grace-giving is not left to chance. It's not left to feelings. It's not left to circumstances. No, grace-giving is the product of prayer and meditation and thought. Let me show you this. Look at chapter 9 and verse 7. As I said, we're skipping and jumping across this passage. Here's what Paul says. So let each one give as, notice these words, he purposes in his heart. The giving is purposeful. It's thoughtful. It's planned. It's thought out. As he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's another thought. Grace giving is collective. Grace-giving is collective. What do I mean by that? What are the motives 
I want to return to this idea that giving to God's work is an expression of a sense of family and solidarity with the saints. We saw that especially when Paul is celebrating and bearing witness to the generosity of the Macedonians. And he wants us to know, you know what? They were begging us to take the collection. Look at verse 4. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift. That's the gift for the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Now notice what he says. The gift. And here's another motive. And the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. They didn't give in a detached manner. They gave out of a heart that was bursting for love for God's people with a sense of ownership of the church and the importance of the church in the life of God's people. And although they were separated by miles and they were faces they had never seen and saints they had never met, they had such a love for the church, they had such a big view of God's kingdom that the saints in Macedonia said, Paul, we're begging you, take the gift. Take the gift. And we want you to take the gift because it's a demonstration of the fellowship, the partnership, the koinonia, the oneness that we feel with the saints of God. So you and I, when we give, when we write a check, when we swipe our card, we drop something in the boxes on the way out, you must never see that as something that you're doing in isolation from others. In fact, your motive ought to be that This gift will bless others and support others and bring the gospel to others. Giving is an individual act in a sense, but it's a corporate act also. It's by the saints, for the saints. By the saints, for the saints. And I want you to notice that everybody should be involved. Look at chapter 9 and verse 7 again, where Paul says this, So let each one of you, so let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart. Again, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, you get a similar thought. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside. That means mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, parents and children, young and old, those who have just come to faith and are new in the faith, and those who are many years along the path of discipleship and are mature in the faith. That means the married. That means the single. That means those who have much and those who have little. Let each of you purpose in his heart. Not grudgingly, not out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you know what? At this moment in history, the believers, the Greek believers, the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Corinth are giving to the poor believers in Jerusalem, mostly Jewish. And the one part of the body is helping another part of the body, not just locally, but globally. Look at chapter 8 and verse 3 concerning the Macedonians, and notice they give according to their ability. Nothing there about a percentage, nothing there about a designated amount. They give according to their ability. In fact, they just didn't stop there. They give beyond their ability. They give when it didn't make sense. They give when the numbers didn't add up. Powerful. Scroll down to verses 11 and 12, and you'll pick up this idea that they are to give according to what one has. Again, it's according to, it's in the light of your ability. It's in the light of what God has given you. Again, similar thought in chapter 9, verses 8 through 11, where again, they're to kind of give as God has prospered them. And as they have been enriched in everything, they're to give liberally, verse 11. 
So giving is to be commensurate. It's not to be a percentage, it's to be a proportion. You get a similar thought, actually, just to take us outside the Corinthian letters. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 29, we read of a relief again for the brothers in Jerusalem and in Judea. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren. It's according to one's ability. But I want to tell you this before we go any further. Generosity is the outcome. Generosity is the outcome. Whatever that amount is that you decide, it will always kind of work out to be generous. Not stingy. Not calculating and miserly. Because that's what happens here. I mean, the Macedonians give liberally out of their poverty according to their ability. Similar thought in chapter 9, verse 5 where Paul expects that whatever the Corinthians are going to give is going to be a matter of generosity. So whatever the amount is, it will be a matter of generosity. Because that gift will be given in the light of God's generosity. And how can God's generosity not prompt our generosity? You get the logic? Because I think some people think, since there is no percentage, that they can use that as a backdoor to escape financial obligations. As I said, grace doesn't produce anything less than the law. God's prospering of us will lead us to indeed be generous, to not be enslaved to our stuff, not allow our souls to be knit to this old world. In fact, you know from 1 Timothy 6, verse 18, Paul says, to those who are rich, you need to be rich in good works. When God enriches us, it's not to feather our nest. It's not for you and I to live in luxury, although the Bible is not against material prospering. I think there's a rhythm in the Bible between feasting and fasting. We can enjoy material things at some points in our life. We're not called to austerity anywhere that I see in the Bible. But at the same time, you've got to be careful that that prospering, that material wealth, doesn't lead to me, my, and mine only. Where we so spend our money and we lose sight of the eternal and the spiritual, there ought to be not only times of feasting, but fasting. When we not only give according to our ability, but beyond our ability. And if we're going to give beyond our ability, we're not going to buy some stuff that's nice, but not necessary. And you know what? You're going to have to be mature about that. Don't get all monastical, you know, and we're all your furniture or cardboard boxes. But on the other hand, while you embrace God's kindness, Be wary of materialism and make sure you're giving according to how God has prospered you. Yes, He has given you all things to enjoy, but He has also given you money to be rich in good works. And by the way, I think every one of us, given what we have and the way we live, would be considered rich in the New Testament. In fact, I think C.S. Lewis is helpful here, probably answers best the question for us, What is the question? Just how much should I give? Because, Pastor, you haven't given me a percentage. That would be easy. I'd know what to shoot for. Uh, No, you see, it's to be a hard issue. It's to be an expression of what God's doing in your life through the gospel. That's what we're going to find out in your giving. So how much is enough? Or how much should it be? Let's listen to C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. This is good. I do not believe one should settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe way is to give more than we can spare. 
In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as ours, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they, our expenditures, are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charities' expenditure excludes them. That's good. That's helpful. He's being practical. He's just saying, hey, I'm not going to give you a mount. I'm not even sure what that amount is. But here's what I'm going to do. I want to err on the side of generosity. I want to make sure as I look back on the year that has passed, were there things I was going to do that I didn't do because I wanted to give not only according to my ability, but beyond my ability? Have I ever felt the pinch of giving by grace? Because if I haven't felt the pinch, and if I haven't given some things up, I'm probably not giving what I ought to in the light of God's prospering of me. That's a good word. Because you see, our giving ought to be cheerful. That's the last thought. Grace giving is cheerful. Commensurate and cheerful. Life touched and transformed by the grace of God is a life that finds giving a happy experience. When you write the check, when you swipe the card, when you put something in the box, is it a happy experience? Are you having second thoughts? Not sure I can afford that, but here it goes. You know, that's what Christians do. Or is it, I'm so blessed. This is happy experience. It's a way for me to just show in tangible ways God's goodness and mercy to me. I know this is going to support the gospel, going to help our pastors, going to support our missionaries, going to be the upkeep of the buildings so that we're not embarrassed to bring people on the property. All of that. Go to chapter 9 and verse 7. We read it earlier, but this is where my thought comes from. So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, nor out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word there gives us our English word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver, a happy giver. That's why, by the way, throughout this chapter, the words freely and willingly will come up again and again. Because if you're a happy giver, you're going to give willingly and freely. Let me give you a couple of verses as we kind of move towards the close. Verse 12, he talks about first a willing mind concerning the Corinthians. Again, verse 19, he talks about a ready mind that's willing to give to this collection to the glory of the Lord himself. In verse 2, he talks, For I know your willingness of chapter 9. Verse 5 of chapter 9, again, he talks about their giving as a matter of generosity and, you know, something that they were willing to do. It's not going to be something that is a grudging obligation. And then finally, verse 7, be cheerful. The Lord loves that. You realize there's three types of givers? According to verse 7 of chapter 9, the tearful giver, the fearful giver, and the cheerful giver. The tearful giver gives begrudgingly, can hardly part with his money. The fearful giver gives out of necessity, out of compulsion, out of a fear of God. If I don't do this, God will curse me. They're working from the wrong end of the equation. There's the tearful, fearful, and then there's the cheerful giver, who gladly parts with their gift according to God's prosperity, because according to verse 8, God's grace enables them to abound in every good work. They give out of grace, a celebration of grace, an experience of grace. Or, as someone else put it, 
If you were to kind of put these three givers, the fearful, tearful, cheerful giver into other categories, some have said that there are three kind of givers in the church, the flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything out of a flint, you've got to hammer it. To get anything out of a sponge, you've got to squeeze it. But the honeycomb just overflows with its own sweetness. We need honeycomb givers. We need cheerful givers. And as we wrap up, I just wrote down a few things that will help you and I to become cheerful givers. Reasons for cheerful giving. Because remember, Acts 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Number one, cheerful giving is something you and I should want because in giving, we become an answer to someone's prayer. Is that not a happy thought? Someone right now on the mission field in our church somewhere nearby us, a ministry or whatever, is in need, and people in that ministry or people in that situation are praying, and then God moves you to give, and that gift meets the need, and they become happy, and you become happy that they're happy. And you become happy that you're an answer to their prayers. I'll give you another reason, because you're investing in eternity and souls, and someday in heaven, you're going to meet someone who said, thank you for supporting that missionary that brought the gospel to my village for the first time. And I heard the gospel. Number three, you're participating in something big. There's a joy to being part of something big beyond yourself, feeling that you belong to something marvelous. You know, it's like going to a sports stadium and watching a game. It's one thing to watch what's going on in the field, but part of the experience, part of the joy of going to like a football game is the experience of you're part of something big. God willing, Santa coming, I'm going to the Rose Bowl to watch my beloved Buckeyes. And I can tell you, I'm going to love everything I see, I hope, on the field. But I'll tell you, I'll be there a couple of hours before the game. I'll be mixing up with some families in our church who are going to it also. I'll be meeting with friends. We'll be visiting vendors. We'll be eating hot dogs. We'll be buying some shirts. We'll be just rubbing shoulders with what we call the Buckeye Nation. We'll be doing our OH and IO thing. Then you'll get into the stadium and you'll look across and half the stadium will be a sea of scarlet and gray and white. There's a joy to it. I love it. Part of something big. Same in the church. That when you give to the church, you're giving to something big. God's missionaries and servants all across the world, you're financing them. Little congregations dotted in villages and in the plains of Africa and the jungles of South America and the cities of Asia. The gospel's going forth with our help. Thrilling. Makes you a cheerful giver. Another reason to be a cheerful giver because it helps grow you. It helps mature you. It helps you work out in your life the warning that Jesus gives. You can't love God and love money. And as you work out and manage your finances in a God-glorying fine way, the Spirit of God blesses that and empowers you something joyful about that. It's been well said that giving is God's way not of raising money, but of raising Christians. Brings pleasure to God, doesn't it? He loves a cheerful giver. I don't know. Do you not like to bring pleasure to God? If He loves cheerful givers, then you'll love being one because it means He finds pleasure in it. Because He sees in your life and my life a reflection of the grace of His Son, being worked out in gracious giving. 
You've heard the lines, haven't you, of the hymn, Take my silver and my gold, not a might with I withhold. You've sang it a whole lot of times. Frances Wrigley Havergill. She wrote a song about dedication, consecration. Take my life and let it be. Well, I want to tell you, she lived those lines. Those aren't just poetic flourish. This woman did what she described. In fact, when she was writing that hymn, she also at that time in her life gathered up all her gold and all her silver, all her jewelry, and she packed it off to a missionary society in England as an expression of her love for the gospel. In fact, she said that one of her jewelry boxes was fit for a countess. There was that much silver and gold in it. But she said this, I don't need to tell you that I never packed a box with such pleasure. She happily said, Lord, take my silver and my gold. Not a mite will I withhold. Lord, we thank you for your son, who although rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Well, thank you. He made himself of no reputation. He clothed himself in humanity to the degree that walking down the street, people didn't realize it was the very Son of God. He set aside the independent use of his prerogatives. All the glory, all the rich worship of the angels were all suspended and set aside so that we might be saved and enriched by the grace of God and made the children of God. Well, God, in the light of that, May we be generous givers. May we be honeycombs that just sweetly exude a spirit of giving out of grace. Help us to remember what the apostles said in those early days, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Lord, we're richer than they were but I'm not sure we're more powerful. Perhaps prosperity has knit our souls to this old world. We're making contributions, but not sacrifices. We're giving beneath our ability, not according to our ability, because we're living for ourselves. We're living for creaturely comforts while the work of God lacks. Where preachers beg, where it's giving that's begrudging and out of necessity rather than cheerful and free. So continue to work in our hearts through this passage, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May we develop hearts to give beyond our ability so we can bless others more freely. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. Philip is sharing biblical advice for sacrificial giving. Listen again when you visit us online at ktt.org or order all the messages in the Total Grace series on CD when you call 888-644-8811. And if you're new to Know the Truth, on behalf of Pastor Philip, let me say welcome. It's Philip DeCourcy's mission to provide bold and convicting Bible teaching that aligns your life with God's heart. And that's not all. To help you in your walk of faith, Philip would like to send you one of his most popular and practical messages. It's called Handling the Pressure, and it's yours for the asking when you call 888-644-8811. Learn how to have less stress by trusting God more. 
At Know the Truth, we're always looking to provide you with resources to strengthen your walk of faith. And we didn't have to look far this month since Philip just released his newest book titled, Help, I'm Anxious. This is a thoroughly practical and biblical guide for defeating our fears by claiming peace in Christ. Philip includes plenty of scripture to anchor you in God's truth. We're offering the book to everyone who gives a generous gift of $25 or more. So give online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. You can also send your gift to us by mail. Just write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. It's your generosity that makes this ministry possible. So give today, and don't forget to ask for Philip's newest book, Help, I'm Anxious. We'll send it to you when your gift is $25 or more. That's all the time for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Come back tomorrow for another message in our Total Grace series. We'll be encouraged to express love and integrity when it comes to grace giving. That's Thursday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. National Guard is committed to keeping the country safe and our community secure. Composed of hundreds of thousands of citizen soldiers from all walks of life, the Guard is always ready to respond to local or national emergencies. We protect the homeland. We're always there when called upon. And in every state and territory, we stand guard for our communities. To learn more, log on to NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the D.C. Army National Guard. Aired by the Maryland, D.C., Delaware Broadcasters Association at this station. You cannot live wrong and die right. We cannot continue to sin and believe we are saved. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. Listen Monday through Friday to Pilgrim's Progress at 1 p.m. right here at WAVA 780. Salvation is freedom from sin. Are you washed in the blood of the In his play, As You Like... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.